This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE IntelliNews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Hello and welcome to Window on the East with me, Ben Aris, the editor of BNE IntelliNews. Beginning of October, I spent a week in New York at Moscow Exchange's annual investment summit. The mood was a bit blacker than normal as sanctions loom over Russia. However, I had the pleasure of chairing the fintech panel where we had some of the top companies in the country talking about their businesses. Along with me on the panel was a representative from Yandex, Russia's leading search engine, Kiwi, which is an online payment system, uh, Pochta Russia's new post bank, and investment darling Tinkoff Bank, which was Russia's first ever pure online bank. Be warned, this one goes on for an hour, but it's well worth a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, if you could take your seats, please. I think we're ready to start. So, welcome all uh, to the last session of the day. Um, my name is Ben Aris. I'm the editor and founder of B&E, uh, Business New Europe. We're a specialist magazine covering the whole emerging Europe space, including um, Central Asia down into North Africa, I personally have been covering Russia since about 1993, um, and things have changed a bit in that time. Um, today we're going to talk about fintech, um, and I'm joined with a very distinguished panel. Um, the names of the companies here have been coming up all day. People have been mentioning them over and over again. Uh, so we really have what I hope given that the rest of the conference has been a bit gloomy, if you agree with me. Uh, I think every session has talked about sanctions, and this session we're going to avoid that topic because uh, e-commerce and fintech financial um, online is, is probably the most vibrant part of the whole Russian economy. Um, the, the growth of e-commerce in general is something like 20 25% at the moment, which is that part of the economy is growing at 10 times the pace of the real economy. And already on the streets of Moscow, you're starting to see that manifest changes um, in things like traditional retail, where footfall is falling because people are ordering more and more online. And along with that is all the infrastructure. And I think here in this case, um, Russia's transition has worked to its advantage because it can leapfrog over whole phases of development and go straight to state-of-the-art. And at the same time, this is the country that put the first man into space. Technology is something that they know well, despite Russia's image of exploding televisions and sunglasses that you can't see through. Uh, in other parts of technology, they're actually world beaters and continue to be so. So I'm going to briefly introduce um, the panel. To my left is uh, Esther Dyson. She's an independent board member at Yandex. Uh, Yandex being, I'm sure you know, uh, Russia's leading tech company and also the most valuable tech company in all of Europe. Um, next to her is Oliver Hughes. He's the CEO of Tinkoff Bank, which was Russia's first ever pure online bank and an investor's darling. Comes up all the time whenever anyone's talking about the banking sector. And then there's uh, um, Alec um, Ryashinov, who is at Kiwi. Kiwi is um, online or is that right? A payment system. How do you, how do you describe it best? It's a te technology company. Technology company. There you go. <laughs> and finally, Pavel um, Tulibiev, who is from Pochta um, Bank, uh, the post office bank that was recently set up 
um, and has 45,000 branches in effect across the whole of Russia down into each and every single village, um, which is a game changer in the sense that every business tends to be not Moscow-centric these days, but the Milionki, the big million people cities, and now this is potentially taking financial services to every single corner of Russia across eight time zones. So to start with, um, I thought I'd start with, with you, um, Esther. Um, as I said, the technology sector, the, the e-commerce has been flourishing. It's been become the most vibrant uh, part. And Yandex has pioneered like project after project. I mean, if we take, for example, Yandex Taxi, which went from nothing. And now, in the old days, when I first arrived in Russia, you had to stand and put your hand out, and some Tajik would stop and jiggle yeah, and within 30 seconds, someone will pick you up. And regular people were doing it, moonlighting to make some extra money. But now if you go to Moscow and you don't have a phone with a Yandex app, you can't get a taxi. Well, you can actually use Uber. That's part of the... Yeah, but then you've you merged get the foreigners, Uber, so right, yeah. You've got but, both of them, yeah. now, haven't you? But, I mean, um, taking that as an example, and that's exploded, but now it's developed, uh, carpooling is taking off now. And, of course, more recently, there's the whole Yandex market. Yeah. has uh, appeared, which is going to be an Amazon of Russia. Is that the idea? Yes. So just a, f a few points first. It's, it's not actually carpooling. It's um, car, car sharing or you, know, you, you rent a car. Right. And, I mean, what's interesting, my, the very first company I was involved with long ago was FedEx. And they brought technology and, and real-time dynamic scheduling to logistics. And logistics before that, you, know, you took something from one place to another place. And then Fred Smith had this wonderful idea of reducing the complexity. You took everything to Memphis, and then you sent it back out to somewhere else. Now that we have so much computer capacity and the really intelligent people at Yandex doing real-time dynamic scheduling and optimization and so forth, you can, you can once again... You don't need to be centralized to be efficient. You need to be optimized. But you need to optimize correctly with the right amount of slack and stuff like that. And so what, to me, is fascinating is Yandex, which began, obviously, as a purely online company, is now learning how to apply some of those same brilliant techniques and minds and so forth to the much more difficult and, and harder to organize offline world, starting with taxi and now moving into, yeah, Yandex market. It's, it's not just about pricing and, and showing stuff online and, and marketing. It is, in fact, also about figuring out which goods to send where, predictive modeling about what people are likely to buy, where do you put this stuff, and, and setting up an efficiently run logistics network that we hope will delight all Russians. To what extent, though, is um, Yandex Market going to be? I mean, the, we follow this thing called the Whatcom uh, Shopping Index, which measures in real time the footfall in the top malls in mm -hmm. Moscow. And every year, it's been falling the footfall, which says to me, it's not that retail is is um, going backwards; it's actually recovered and growing strongly. But the number of people going to the malls, which has traditionally been where they went shopping, uh, has been falling because more and more people are ordering online. You know, the explosion. And, and, and please, the rest of the panelists, you can jump in at any point here. But the, the use of the smartphones, for example, has exploded. 
And uh, everybody's online, and increasingly they're shopping online for the commoditized things. But now that includes groceries and vegetables yeah. and what have you. And so, I mean, the market, AliExpress has had a huge impact at the, the low end of the market, especially given that there's not a lot of stuff manufactured in Russia mm. that, for consumers. And so it's, it's been a huge change for especially, let's face it, you know, people in the Glubinki without a lot of money, they can now just order this stuff online and it appears in a couple of weeks. And, you know, that's, if you just want some more t-shirts or some clothes, mm -hmm. there's no rush. We're looking at a somewhat higher end market where quicker deliveries are important, where quality and brands are important. And you know, we hope, honestly, the margins are a little higher. Could I throw it to the whole panel? Um, to what extent is it true to say that the, the, the Russian uh, e-commerce online business is now the most modern part of the Russian economy? Because again, we've always been told that it's backwards and it's a petro economy and it's corrupt, it doesn't work, they don't manufacture anything. Mm -hmm. And yet you look at the growth rates and all of your businesses are flourishing and it's all because it's been facilitated by this, this rapid digitization of the consumers. I mean, with the phones, with broadband penetration, SIM card penetration over 200%, and that you can go straight to these state-of-the-art solutions and create these businesses literally out of nothing because of people's, uh, because of their connectivity, because they're online. And it's transparent. And it's transparent. Which is really wonderful. What about you, Oliver? I mean, you run Tinkoff sure, Bank. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, I'm just listening to your comments about e-commerce. So we're talking about the online community mm. of businesses in Russia, and not just about e-commerce. Um, e-commerce in Russia is, is still tiny. I mean, it's less than 5% of consumer spend. Um, growing very quickly, but from a small base. Uh, so, so there's a, a big race going on at the moment in Russia as to who's going to occupy that space, because, um, as Esther said, there's lots of... Um, the main model has been importing cheaper Chinese goods into Russia and then reselling them through internet platforms. Um, but there's, there's other things appearing. And obviously there's, there's things like Yandex Market, um, some other initiatives that have been uh, announced recently. But if you look at a, a lower level, there's all sorts of going on in um, some more niche type segments. Um, so, if, for example, food. So good food in Russia is not two phrases that were put in the same sentence a few years ago. But because of um, import substitution, uh, there's all sorts of cottage industries and some larger companies growing up who are delivering online all sorts of amazing fish products and cheeses and you name it. Anyway, so Tinkoff grew out of a, a very different space. So people uh, remember us as, um, as a credit card company. We were a branchless credit card um, organization basically borrowing ideologically from Capital One. And we launched in 2007. But because we launched uh, with a branchless model using data very, very extensively, we developed a, a set of capabilities which enabled us to move into online, which we did uh, with deposits, first of all, and then moved into consumer lending online. That was back in 2009, 2010. And we've uh, sailed ever since. So we were able to do this um, because Russians are very tech-savvy. You had almost total connectivity right the way across Russia, very deep down and dirty into the very small population centers in the regions where you, you just couldn't reach with uh, physical infrastructure, and it was expensive to do so. 
Um, we have the best developers in the world, this amazing talent pool who can do all sorts of stuff with interfaces which rival anywhere else in the world. And I'm you know, willing to put my hat on that um, because people in Silicon Valley are very often from Russia, uh, as we know. Um, and and uh, a very positive operating environment without, said without a hint of irony mm. in terms of regulation, the economy, um, and um, logistics. So we were able to build a very large online company uh, with 7 million customers basically in 10 years and growing very quickly now. The bit you missed out is Alec Tinkoff actually got his start with beer, didn't he? Uh, yeah, so he, he started um, actually back in uh, the 90s with um, an electronics retailer. And he went through various other stuff, uh, consumer-facing companies into frozen foods, and eventually he built a, a beer company, which was sold to um, InBev in 2005, and the proceeds of that went into establishing the bank, um, which is now a, a group of companies, not just a bank, uh, named after Mr. Tinkoff. He's very modest, as you can gather, all of his companies. <laughs> Now, the irony is, is uh, Ruski Standard, which is another uh, very successful, very fast-growing uh, retail bank uh, that uh, Tariko, he, he got his start selling vodka and also named his bank after the vodka. And McKinsey would brought in to advise and said, like, you know, you can't do that. You can't call a bank after a vodka. And then they went out and did a focus group, and then they discovered, actually, it's a really good idea because all the other banks are backed by oil, and everybody knows oil prices are volatile, but in Russia, you're always going to sell vodka, so you've got a solid reputation. It seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about um, the point you made about being able to get into the, into the corners of Russia, this huge country, and this is the advantage that... Um, because people don't appreciate the, the, the size of this country and the spaces in between it. And yeah. 80% of the population lives in the European part, which is roughly the size of Germany, maybe a bit bigger. But then you've got all this population out in Krasnodar and in Kursk and, and then Vladivostok on the other side, Novosibirsk, and large cities too. Um, but getting to them is a problem, and the internet has jumped over that. Uh, maybe, Pavel, we should bring you in here. And Pochta uh, is Pochta Russia, the, the post office, which is the backbone of the government's, uh, how should I say, point of contact with the whole population, has recently been turned into a bank. Pavel's on the board of directors. But, I mean, that's your thing. You, you, you're actually going to suddenly give banking services to, to the entire country, and moreover, you've gone straight for tech solutions with biometric... Sign up, you were saying? I will say a few words about PostBank. We are a very young bank in Russia. Uh, to be honest, we were founded just two years ago, uh, and it was, I think, 10 attempts in Russia to create a PostBank. Uh, at this moment, we have about 14,000 of our branches across all Russia. We have about 18,000 of employees and about 25. Uh, thousands of agents that are employees of Russian Post. Uh, we have five millions of our active customer base, uh, and uh, our mobile application is one of the top four, I think, due to MarxWeb report application in Russia. Uh, we describe ourselves as digital bank with the most um, wide. Uh, branch network in Russia. 
when we started, our model was mostly focused on consumer finance, but uh, on the second um, year of, uh, our, of, of our work, uh, we came to deposits and we started working with other segments. Uh, at this moment, we work with customers for all ages. For example, uh, we have an application for uh, childs who are six years old and more. We call it uh, Postbank Junior, and we provide them a virtual prepaid debit card. And to pensioners uh, who has preferences to absolutely all bank products. Uh, this year, we have a very interesting uh, project in digitalization. Uh, maybe you know or maybe not, uh, in Russia this year uh, starts a uh, unified biometric system. So how it works? Uh, on the first step, uh, every person uh, can submit his own biometric data to unified biometric system. Uh, the person could do this via any bank who is connected. Uh, and this system uses two parameters, the voice profile uh, and uh, photo image. And on the second step, this person can open a savings account in the bank fully distantly with no connection to a bank employer. It's a fully digital process. Um, this system operates from 1st July this year, about three months, uh, and first, uh, first savings account that was opened distantly with biometric identification. Uh, it happened on 7th of July um, in St. Petersburg during the International Finance Congress, and it was done by Postbank. Um, so, um, as you see, on the one hand, we have a very wide um, uh, network of branches, and on the other hand, we have this digital platform, and we are absolutely sure that this digital and biometric technologies together then can make accessible absolutely to everyone financial services. And so, just to clarify, how many branches do you have? I mean, how many post offices are there across Russia? How many offices? Yeah. 14,000. 14,000. And to put this in context, uh, I think the next biggest bank after Sparebank has about 800. Yeah. But uh, our, because we're a low-cost bank, uh, our offices uh, have a special model. Uh, the first moment is that we are placed in the post offices, so we don't build, build our own network. On the second thing, we don't have cash desks. All cash management is done by our ATMs, and we have 100% recycle ATMs. Some of the machines uh, have, no, uh, uh, have no cash management for three or four months because they, they recycle cash, uh, and uh, it is cheaper for us. Ah, so you can deposit in the machine as well as withdraw? Yeah. And it uses uh, the same uh, cash for two persons. And uh, the third moment is that most of our offices consist just uh, of one employer. And we use also biometric technologies uh, for anti-fraud management and to control our own stuff. So a card, it's a card solution. Um, that, and the card is the gateway to, to the payments. Yeah. And a, um, a Kiwi. 
I used to go and pay my internet bill uh, in the local supermarket at the terminal there. And it but was... Love it. Sorry? But you love it. Yeah, no, it was great because I used to have to schlep into the center of town and then find the, uh, the, the Glasnost office and, and pay in cash. And, and suddenly there was this terminal, you shove money in it, and then your internet works again, hopefully. <laughs> but you, you, you're, you're, um, you're now migrating out of that. I mean, the, the, the terminals where you can collect payments for internet, for mobile phone payments, for traffic utilities, fines. traffic fines. I mean, what else was on there? Betting is, big, <laughs> is a big segment. Yeah, it's growing very, very fast. I mean, it's it's nice to see that. But before before I move to Kiwi, which is obviously a, I don't want to bore you guys with explaining the business what we do. Um, I want to add a few points, if I may, uh, to the previous discussions. Um, number one, uh, Russia never had uh, traditional uh, technological infrastructure or legacy infrastructure, as it's called in. Uh, in public. So everything's been built over the last 10, 15 years in Russia has been taken the best available technology uh, that's already exists in the market. And that penetration of that and the speed of it, it's already uh, across Russia. Mm. We traveled uh, to, uh, about two months ago to the Lake Baikal. Uh, and in the smallest village uh, in a public market where there were like 10 sellers overall selling fish and uh, whatever products they sell in their little village, every <coughs> single one had a terminal with a touchless technology. <coughs> and that was absolutely amazing. Uh, next week, we went to Israel for, uh, for a meeting, and none of the places in Israel is claimed to be one of the top fintech um, incubator in, uh, um, in the Middle East and Europe, as they say. Uh, none of the none of the places there um, accepted the cut with the touchless technology. Uh, what it shows that uh, the technology is already there, and it's you choose whether you take it or not. And it goes into single business as well, like Tinkoff or Poche Bank or us. Uh, whether we accept to be on the edge of it and offer people new convenience, new solutions. And that's something that we in Kiwi are really <coughs> focused on. Uh, if you talk about financial uh, technology or uh, even technology in general, artificial intelligence has been developed in 1951. And it only comes to use now. Uh, it's been used quite heavily in, uh, in the heavy industries, in chemicals or uh, uh, airplane industry or car industry, but never been used in financial uh, services or banking services. And it started being utilized uh, over the last few years. And we'll see the results of it. We'll see the growth, the models predictive that's been built by that, uh, by machine learning technology. And it's amazing. There is a future there. There are new opportunities there. There are new uh, ways of doing business and offering new solutions for the consumers. Uh, and when we uh, looked at Kiwi, what our major assets are, and our value in the markets, and Kiwi being one of probably most technological companies in, in the country, pioneering many technological um, motions, including the uh, crypto technology together with the government, uh, both uh, uh, for the business and for the government, uh, using artificial intelligence and the machine learning uh, technology. 
we uh, believe that our core value is understanding the technology, and our the second core value is consumers, the knowledge of the consumers that we have. And Kiwi have over 50 million unique users monthly. Uh, with all our services we have, we have a lot of data about consumers. We understand how they, uh, how they move, how they pay. And combining that with, with the technology, it's opening for us a new opportunity for the products. And not only in the financial services. We do many different uh, uh, segments of uh, many different industries in, in the payment industry, in the loyalty, marketing, etc., etc. And that allows us, and not only us, for anybody who's uh, looking at that the same way, to give to open a new opportunity and to start... Can I ask a question then to everyone? Um, to what extent, because you have this situation where you had nothing, so you, when you're bringing something in, you're like, why not just go straight for the best? And for a lot of the, the noughties, there were, most of the sites, um, web businesses that were open were just sort of simple copycats. You know, they've got Amazon books, and so we had Ozon that did the same thing. However, it seems to me more and more now that people are thinking out of the box and abandoning, uh, having new ideas about addressing the fundamental problems. I mean, you, you think of at the bank, I mean, you started with a very simple credit card product, which was a way of allowing people to, to spend their money without having to have branches, you give them plastic cards. But increasingly, the bank is styling itself as a lifestyle bank, so it's not traditional banking anymore because you bought a, was it a travel agency and so as part of my banking services, I can buy airplane tickets, which is not a traditional part of the banking business, sure. but it's, it's a commoditized ticket, and so why shouldn't the bank do that? So this kind of feeds into uh, a common thread in what's been discussed today, that um, Russia has its own development path. It's certainly got the, uh, the leapfrogging advantage of not having legacy systems, which are really diff difficult to overhaul. Back office is a nightmare. You can't bolt on front offices. All that's pretty obvious stuff, yeah. And that's what part of the thing that's holding back, for example, a UK market, which I know pretty well being British, uh, still not Russian. Um, because you've got the legacy issue, but I think the main problem there is, is mentality. Um, in Russia, you've got, if we talk, about financial services for a second. You've got not just innovative technologies, some of which have been mentioned today. Um, you've got innovation on the interface, which, are, as I, I repeat, is second to none in Russia at the moment. What's being done in the interface by Yandex and Tinkoff and, and various other players in the market is, uh, is absolutely up there um, with, with um, voice assistants and bots and all sorts of stuff appearing, which is, which is uh, cutting edge. Um, you also have models, business models, which are unique. So, for example, um, there are now two financial ecosystems in Russia which are being evolved into other spaces. So you've just mentioned uh, what we call in Tinkoff lifestyle banking. So basically, we started by building a credit card business, then we evolved into other financial services. So we do small business current accounts for individuals, which are just skyrocketing. We're doing... Um, 150, 170,000 new current accounts per month. So it's gone viral. Um, and incidentally, we've, sorry to digress, but we've solved the last mile issue in Russia by building our own smart courier platform. So we do 22,000 meetings per day with our own logistics. Um, so coming back to the idea. So basically we have this financial platform which we've been building out into other adjacent areas. So we, we, we did insurance, 
Then we build a, built an investment business, a small a business for small businesses, uh, lots of financial and insurance stuff, and then worked out that we need to do more in our interface, our mobile app, to attract customers and keep them in there. So all it became, rather than financial transactional type metrics, it became Mao and Dow. So Dow is one of our most important metrics now, daily active users, and how long people are spending in our interface. To get them to spend more time in the interface, we started adding more and more services. So we have the obvious stuff like shopping services, but we've also built an online travel agency. Mm. We recently acquired a stake in a, an online ticketing company, the largest in Russia, Russia Kassir.ru. Um, so we've gone into entertainment. Uh, we have content. We write our own content, and, uh, and it's um, ML-based in terms of studying the behavior of our customers, knowing what's relevant for them, and targeting offers, uh, content, user tips, you name it, through uh, stories, which are um, embedded in our mobile app. Um, going into booking restaurant tables through the app, uh, Yandex Taxi, etc., etc. Um, so we're now an aggregator of all sorts of different services. Some of them we build ourselves, some of them we import, we partner. Um, and, it's, um, and we're going out into this much broader array of services. This is in Russia. Because if you think about um, the other paths to the evolutionary paths, it's either come out of search, messengers, or e-commerce. And that these guys have gone into financial services. In Russia, it's happening the other way around with Tinkoff and Sparebank. Would you say, all of you, um, that maybe it's, because it's such a, a new, fast-growing, dynamic market, I mean, a lot of the company services already exist, and companies, obvious things have been set up, but there's not like here where you've got, uh, or, or the UK, where you've got 50, 100 years of tradition and it's become ossified to some extent. That in, in Russia, it's a lot more fluid. And this, because you've got this huge market too. I mean, it's 147 million people. Just the number of people online, actually online in Russia, is more than the entire population of Germany. And it's all there to be tapped. And because it's a lot younger and more fluid, that you have the opportunity to actually have these ideas, like a bank can be selling theatre tickets. I mean, is, is that yeah, built into what Yandex Market is about? It's much more flexible. People are, I mean, we, we have all these local, brilliant, they're, they're not just programmers, they're mathematicians and scientists. And that's, that's a huge advantage. Uh, you know, they're not so much managers mm -hmm. as, as a country, but brilliant engineers and designers and, and so forth. And there are fewer regulations. It's... A bit easier to try new things sometimes. But, and people are doing that. They're I should mention actually Esther trained as a cosmonaut uh, in her previous life. At Star City, yeah. Yeah, at Star City, which is just out of Moscow. Uh, yeah, and that to me is a very Russian story, the cosmonaut business. But uh, the, the, the people are trying these things. I mean, that's not just yeah. a, a potential. It's, it's no, and the, the audience, you know, there's social classes and, if you like, education classes, but at the same time, there is much more openness than in Western Europe. I used to say, sort of in America, they'd say, oh, it's new, let's do it. And in Western Europe, they would say, oh, it's new, let's not do it. <laughs> and in Russia, they would say, oh, it's new, let's see if it works. And to what extent is that part of what Yandex Market is trying to do, that, you know, that there are no rules boundaries? And to what extent is it facilitated by the Russians themselves, who really seem to have embraced this whole technology? Yeah, well, they want these products, that's clear. I mean, Amazon 
does exist in Russia, that it's, it's cumbersome and slow and all this. And we believe, we know Russia. We, we have amazing market coverage, obviously, and we think we can do it better and satisfy our customers better and, and work with more different vendors from around the world. So, Alec, I mean, the, what is it, Sovinvest? Sovist. Sovist. Uh, is a card, it's, um, as I understand it, an installment plan. So you can go and buy a TV for 1,000 rubles, and using this card, what it does is it takes 200 rubles from my account every month for five months. But what you've done is taken the whole installment, the financing bit of products, purchases away from the retailer and taken it on as a financial company, which actually makes sense if you think about it. Why is a retailer doing finance plans? And that, that exactly comes from knowledge from the consumers. When, uh, when we saw that the people don't like banks, uh, we all don't like banks because they take high percentage, they put a lot of products we don't need in our package and we're paying for them. And um, so we, our thinking was very simple. How can we do a product, a financial product, or a banking product where a consumer is not going to be paying for? And if consumer is not paying for uh, using banks' money, we need to find somebody else to cover the cost. Mm. And uh, we created the product that uh, involves uh, the retailer, a bank, and a consumer. But the consumer is not paying an interest rate. And, uh, um, so the loan in effect, it's a loan in effect, isn't it? It is and a loan. And it's it is free for the consumers. It is free for the consumers, yes. Um, uh, but the business is um, covering the new um, traffic, the new revenue stream that we bring in them by developing uh, uh, a new marketing activities that's pushing people towards the retailers that we signed up uh, for this project. Um, and that makes the consumers very happy. And we see the um, incoming traffic and demand for, uh, for the product that exceeding our infrastructure to deliver those cards. Even we build the infrastructure that allows us to issue over 1,000 cards monthly, which is, makes us probably number four bank, if we call us a bank. We, we're not a bank, but if we call us a bank, um, in a market that would allow, that would acquire that amount of customers monthly. Uh, for the cost that is lower than the banks can afford, in a way. And how do you? So the whole the whole construction of this of this business is a favorable for the business and a favorable for the consumers. Everybody is benefiting that. Because the, the history here is in the in the noughties, the whole unsecured um, financing uh, took off, uh, pioneered by Russian standard, uh, Russian standards, and the whole idea of point of sale instant credit, and it got to the point where the major electronics retailer, NVIDIA, was selling a third of their products on credit. But then we had subsequent to that in 2014, 2016, a sort of crash and crisis, and uh, the central bank stamped on consumer lending, which is now taking off again. But what you're talking about is a lot more sophisticated than what Ruski Standard was done. I mean, you, you have more... It's gathering the we have much more knowledge of the consumers today. Yeah. And it's easier for us to do risk assessment in a smarter way. But surely the more you do this as well, the better you get to know, because it's now becoming about data. I mean, about It's knowledge. all about data and technology, exactly. If you look at the, uh, 130 years ago, J.P. Morgan, when he was uh, building his business, he was asking a very simple question. What's more important, uh, debt to income or debt to payment? And he said, none of it type of a person. Once I know the type of a person, 
I can give, I can give him credit as much as, as I think his guy deserves. And what technology and data allows us to do, we're not there yet, but we're close, mm. to, to identify a type of person when we do a risk assessment. And that's something that's pretty interesting. It's good. It's a lot of way, it's a long way to go, but it's, it's, we're already there. The cards, the, the, the service, uh, is it going to people that you already know, or is it people off the streets and you have to start a relationship with them and get to learn them? Uh, it's mainly off the street. Because with any new product, you will have to explain it before people buy it. You cannot simply cross-sell to existing audience. If you have, but you have data of this audience. You have data of these people that's already existing in your other businesses. And you could build models that allow you to be more precise and, uh, and more transparent in the, in the markets, offering that to the right people at the right time. So when are you guys going to be selling insurance based on that same information? We're not going to be selling insurance because it's uh, completely free from the consumers. So we don't want consumers to pay. And that's the whole concept behind it. So we're not going to be selling insurance. We're going to be, if you're going to sell something, we're going to be selling it to business. And consumer will be using or having access to funds for free. Uh, the only contract I have with the consumers is consumer will have to pay it back on time. That's the only thing. Everything's, everything else is going to be free for him. But you could sell health insurance to employers, for example. We do. Whatever. Something. We do. We do. Yes. Uh, we're not an insurance business as, uh, as a company. But if we develop that product and we believe that's going to be beneficial for the consumers, obviously we're going to be, we're going to be selling it to, to the consumers and, and to businesses. And uh, in Kiwi, we have two types of clients uh, and consumers that are using our products that we create for them based on the technology and the knowledge we have, and merchants that we've developed uh, over many years because in order to build the payment infrastructure or lending infrastructure or similar pay-by-installment product infrastructure, you need to have a lot of merchant partners. And it's thousands and thousands of them. And uh, our idea is to create products that will benefit both consumers. Uh, the end clients and the merchants. And if you find this type of products where they're all going to benefit, then it's a win-win situation. And that's what we, we, we're trying to focus, to complement the products each other and to build an ecosystem for the end consumers and for the merchants. Uh, that's how we grow. Isn't, well. Oliver, isn't that the essence of what you're doing? Cause, I mean, you're Very similar, yeah. Describe to me as, like, we're not a traditional bank, we're not about managing your money. We're about helping you maximize the pleasure from spending your money. <laughs> yeah. um, so, cool. so basically, if you think about uh, the daily banking and the lifestyle approach that we're, we're applying, it's, um, a lot of it, the emphasis is on taking the boring stuff out of the payment process. So it becomes a hygiene factor that's automated and uh, leaving you the more pleasurable stuff, which is entertainment, travel, shopping. So kind of stuff that um, has been uh, implemented in other spaces but not implemented in the finance space. But just, just listening back to this conversation, um, the win-win idea uh, from Oleg, I, I completely buy. It's great, but uh, you want to make sure that the guy in the middle is making money because the lending business is, uh, is a dodgy business um, because it's, there's, a, there's a heat source. If you get two close to the heat source, you're going to bang. If you get too far away, it gets very cold. 
and it moves around. So you have to constantly move with this thing um, in order to make sure that you've got the right mix of yield, um, the right distance between you and the um, uh, and, and zero or my, negative territory. And as I say, it's a moving feast, which is very dynamic. Um, if you don't have the yield to cover you once you go into the next down, downturn, then, uh, then you're going to be in negative territory and you're going to chew through the capital that you had. So it's, um, I'm going to sound a bit retrograde for a leading online financial player, but you can't beat a good history, credit history. Mm. Credit history is, is the key thing here. And alt scoring and alternative data sources are highly important, but they're never going to beat a credit history. Um, sorry for throwing that in there, but I think it's rather important to point out. But there are credit histories. I mean, you know, it's now been a good nearly 20 years of this consumer-led boom that started with, you know, Ruski's Standard and then Sparebank. And Sparebank has everybody's credit history, in effect. I mean, the same as you, Pavel. I mean, you've got a, a new bank, but you're, in a way, you haven't got a choice. You have to deal with the entire population. And so you just take the customers, and mm -hmm. it's going to be simple transactions. I mean, you can do your big data mining, but you've really only been at it six months, haven't you? Uh, you know, when we started just working, uh, all customers were new to us, so we don't have uh, a lot of our own data to work with, uh, work with them. Uh, of course, credit history is the key uh, for credit evaluation, uh, but we decided to go to mobile network operators and it was in 2013 uh, and to talk about if we could do uh, this uh, we could do a project and to use their data in credit scoring uh, and about uh, after half a year uh, we start using use their data in credit scoring and it was real innovation uh, for example, we find out that customers who just change their phone number in several months before they take a credit, take a credit they are more risky than others. Um, another example of mobile operate data is that if customer gives you a uh, home address, you can uh, check it with mobile operator's data. Uh, because the home address is the place where you spend eight hours at night. So it's very easy to find out if you are telling truth or not. And there are a lot of examples where this data really helps us to make a good credit decision. So I think that talking about uh, innovation, innovation happens when two industries uh, meet together and then they can do uh, something more than each other separately. So partnerships are important and the data is everything. Yeah. Uh, speaking of mobile uh, phones, it was, it's a shame because Sistema was going to come and, and didn't make it, but um, they own MTS, a uh, big mobile phone operator, and MTS has bought a bank, and you guys are offering financial services, but MTS is proposing then to turn your phone into a wallet. Um, and this hasn't happened yet, but I, I think it's going rapidly in that direction. Mm -hmm. is, is this going to be another dimension to... The, being able to pay someone? I mean, because again, you're operating three different forms of payment, and Yandex is Yandex Dengi, and then you're Tinkoff, and Alec has got something else. Um, and then we're going to get the mobile phones getting into the game. I mean, isn't the competition for payment services rising? Mm -hmm. And at some point, surely it's going to have to consolidate, or am I wrong? It is, but it's difficult to make money out of. Ah. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think a lot of the, uh, the people on this panel are offering payment services um, uh, 
being subsidised, basically. We're running at a loss. I'm sure Yandex, when they go into finance, they'll find that they'll have to do that themselves. We certainly are. So you use the whole payments mechanism as a way of bringing people into your ecosystem and then cross-selling them other products where you make the margin. So the mobile operators have a bit of a mobile-centric view of the world, and they look at everything not through a bank account or a pseudo-bank account, or through a mobile account. And they think that people are willing to make payments from their mobile accounts, which is wrong, which is why they never got it off the ground in Russia. Well, they should have done it a long time ago. Mm. So they're pumping lots of plastic out there, but there's no conversion to actual financially active customers. Um, maybe they'll get it together eventually. They've got the data. They've got the customer base. They've got the brand. So they should have the reach and the distribution, but they haven't quite got the, the magic formula mm-hmm. yet. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's what you said. Payments are now a commodity, yeah. and you need to sell something else to get the margin, and the payment system just makes it convenient. Sure. Well, when, when you look at it from a, a consumer point of view, he doesn't care whether he does payments or he's using a financial transaction. For him, it's moving money around. He's owing money, even the credit money that he got, it's his own money. And to make it smooth and easy and transparent, uh, that's what he wants. That's why banks uh, go into payment services and payment companies, they go into banking services. They're all getting merged. The buyers are getting very um, delusional in a way. But it's, it's, sorry, it's not about payments, as uh, Oleg's saying. It's, um, it's, so it's not about the transactional element, because transactional element uh, is, is, is what we think about. Yeah? Um, it's about the interface. So who is providing the interface? The services in the interface, the ability to switch frictionlessly between services um, in the way that customers want. And the younger the customers are, the more they have a clear view as to how they want to receive those services. And it might just not just be financial services. Yeah? So it could be mobile services, yeah. search services, uh, taxi services, whatever it is. Borrowing. They want to do it through an interface. So it's the battle for the interface which is happening at the moment. And that's where technology comes along. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In what, what's another way. What stage are we at? Because, I mean, I know all three of your businesses uh, well, and the post office, mm-hmm. um, which has always been there. But, you know, in the years I've been covering Russia, living there, the, I've watched all of the businesses transform. And if anything, it's accelerating. And it seems to me like we've gone beyond the simple copycat set things up, and then you've all set up businesses that are starting to innovate. But are we now reaching maturity, uh, or are we at the beginning of a much bigger process? I mean, where, where do we stand now? Again, I think we're going offline and beginning to fix some of the real world, whether it's logistics or you know, ordering food or just, you know, we've... The stuff online is basically really efficient. Mm. Now it's time to go and make the rest of the world efficient. And that's pretty exciting, especially in a country where lots of things are very inefficient. Yeah, no, it has been very inefficient for a very long time. Um, I think we're almost out of time. I I wanted to throw it open to the audience. Um, Gentleman down here was first. Do we have a microphone, please? And down here on the right. See, we didn't mention sanctions once. Thank you. Isn't this nice? We didn't mention <laughs> sanctions. Sanctions. Yes. Great. Uh, Ravi Vish from Limiar Capital. I would want to pursue the line of uh, discussion you've been having just now in terms of the convergence of the technology companies and the financial services companies towards each other. 
and, and the trend of how, how that will evolve over a period of time. You know, as you talked, you talked about consolidation to some extent, but what do you think are the longer-term impacts of this convergence happening between these two sets of players in terms of consolidation or impact on the market and things like that? And there seems to be too many players who are all converging towards each other. So the question we can get is, there's too many players, there's going to be a consolidation, what's the long-term impact? Gentlemen? Should I start off? Yeah. So, um, thanks for the question, Ravi. So, so basically, um, when we think about Tinkoff in the next three to five years, we don't think of our competitors being banks. That's kind of yesterday's battle. Um, and it may, may sound a bit pompous, uh, but it's really true. Um, Sparebank is definitely going to be one of them. Maybe V2B Group, if they get their act together, they'll be one of them as well. Sorry, no disrespect. Um, and we'll be competing and collaborating with Yandex and Mail and maybe the Chinese and, uh, and Avito, if they get together, the classified uh, uh, dominant player in Russia. And obviously the big tech guys coming in from wherever they're going to come in, China, US, and who are definitely going to come into our sphere in terms of financial service provision and the other way around. So in Russia, we understand we have to go into a range of services in order to, to play in the same field as, as the tech guys. Um, but that, while that's happening, uh, it's all very intergalactic, the battle of the ecosystems, but that is very much where we're going. Uh, there'll be consolidation. So the, the number of players that are able to do that will, will decrease really quite rapidly. Because to do this, you need to have the technology, the people. You need to hire these people. They're not cheap. You need to retain them, motivate them. And that's not cheap either. Um, and then you need to be able to execute consistently over time. And it's bloody difficult. So the amount of guys who have the wherewithal to do that are actually very few and far between. Is there a 3-5. It's going to happen sooner than, than we think. It's phenomenal, the speed that it's going at. It really is. Um, there was a lady here in the front. Microphone, please, in the pink. Um, yeah, it's probably to everybody. Uh, you know, as, 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 as you've rightfully noted, that uh, the use of data is, is a big part of the business model, and it's a big advantage that, you know, you can use consumer-generated data to develop your, and uh, market your products and services. Uh, how does the environment on the data protection data usage look in Russia from a regulatory perspective and the customer's attitudes toward it? Like, we know a lot of noise has been in the Western world around you know, personal data protection. So how, how does it look in Russia? Mm -hmm. GDPR, does it exist in Russia? I actually don't know. Uh, we have well, we a law of uh, <laughs> personal data protection, and we can use customer data of only if we have a permission for him. And we can... Uh, share this data with others only if a customer gives us a permission to share this data with a particular um, organizations. And if a customer tells us that he don't allow us to use uh, his data for the future, we can do it. It and certainly provides kind of a protection against a lot of foreign entrants just showing up without being careful and following those same rules without would you say the, the same standards, audience. Uh, standards are mm -hmm. similar to, to what there is in Europe? I mean, they just upped, it, upped the game here in mm -hmm. Europe. Is it on a part yeah, of that? more or less. But, I mean, they're tougher. tougher. The law is tougher, tougher than the Anglo-Saxon. And you can't, I mean, you can't store 
the stuff outside, for example, that's happening to LinkedIn and Facebook and yeah, yeah. a lot of those guys. The, the Data Protection Act in Russia was, um, was passed in 2005 and became law in 2006, thereabouts. Um, and, uh, and basically the, the Russians, when they were rooting around for models, they looked more at the, uh, let's say, the Franco-Germanic kind of continental European model than the Anglo-Saxon models. So Anglo-Saxon models of data protection were a lot more liberal. Um, and uh, and they, they cho- chose very, very tough um, a law enactment, which, is, which we've been, been uh, abiding uh, by um, since, so what is it, 13, 14 years now. And it's actually going to be further toughened um, as they regulate, um, basically, usage of the cloud. So the Russian uh, data protection environment is pretty, pretty tough. And it's the same with the intellectual property laws as well, as, aren't they? Because, I mean, it was a very free and wild in the old days, but uh, now it's yeah. got very tough. There was, didn't you have threatened with being closed down by Gazprom? There was a story recently, mm-hmm. the blocking Not sites. closed down. I mean, the, the thing to understand is good operators welcome tough laws because it keeps out the riffraff. And I would say all of us up here are, you know, follow these rules. It takes a lot of effort, and but we have the capacity to do that. The smaller operators, the fly-by-night guys, the people coming in who see this as a small market don't have the ability to do all the... Due diligence. And yeah, do, do all the due diligence, do all the hard work it takes to actually follow those rules and protect the data and mm. watch what's going on. Mm. Okay. But at least we don't need to do it on paper. <laughs> um, last question, anyone? Gentleman in the back there, please. Hi, I, I wanted to ask about credit cards as a product because it's no secret that in Russia the usage of credit cards is relatively low and if you take like collective retail portfolios, it's predominantly mortgages and cash loans. Is it right to say that credit card is some kind of an anachronic product and, and Russia will probably skip largely credit cards as it skipped checks like years ago? And is it that probably in the future people will just use mobile phones and instead of putting credit cards data will put some mobile phone number and some PIN code or something? Or what's the future of credit cards in Russia? Thank you. Sure. So credit cards is still um, a, a pretty underserved market in Russia. You're absolutely right. So the total outstandings are about 1.2 billion rubles, 1.3 billion rubles, uh, 1 trillion, sorry, which is, which is tiny. Um, and the, the market's about 30% penetrated. So there's loads of room to grow, and it will continue to grow over the next 5 to 10 years, but not quite at the same pace as it did from a low base over the last few years. So the question is, will it become like... Uh, an Anglo-Saxon or Hispanic market uh, where you have 200% penetration over time? Or will it be like the continental European markets or Germany where you know, they have a low penetration, people don't really do credit cards? So the answer is that we have two halves of the population. There's one half of the population who are like Brits, who, who like credit cards and borrow on credit cards and use them for their transacting. And there's the other half who are like Germans who don't do credit cards. <laughs> Um, and they, they use debit cards and, and cash loans, personal installment loans. That's one part of the story. Um, over time, maybe there's a bridging product, which is what Oleg has, which is installment cards, which kind of sit between the two. But the jury's still out on that one, so we'll see what happens. Then there's the other part, which is the transacting uh, uh, part of the card story, which I think is what you're asking about. And I, I had uh, lunch with the head of Visa in Russia last week, 
who said that the, um, by transactions um, on, for mobile contactless payments, so Apple Pay, Android Pay, all this sort of stuff, uh, Google Pay, um, Russia is now the number one market for Visa in transaction numbers. Transaction value, the UK is higher. Um, but this just goes to show what Oleg was saying about um, the, the terminal infrastructure uh, leapfrogging and being very well penetrated down in the regions, uh, Russians' usage behavior, the skyrocketing uh, penetration of smartphones and the way, way Russians use them to transact, not just to, uh, to communicate. Uh, so um, um, we, we won't leapfrog credit cards because credit cards are a, a, already a, a fact and a, a, an important part of the landscape. But where we'll go from here could well be um, very different to what you see in other markets. And it won't be the Chinese route, because the QR code route is something that, that we won't have in Russia. I think we'll go into contactless payments. So people will stop having plastic fairly soon. You don't need it. On that note, um, I'd like to thank our panelists very much for a fascinating discussion. <laughs> And also to thank uh, BCS and Moex for organizing this. And if I just take the last second to promote my own publication, please take a look on intellinews.com on slash welcome. I've put up uh, our last magazine. We have a tech newsletter that comes out once a month. And I've also put a free copy of our in-depth Russia report. Um, so please have a look at that, intellinews.com slash welcome. Thank you very much. Drinks time.